This season of Well and Good is sponsored by Subaru, the perfect car for living a full life in New Zealand. New Zealanders are doers, the type of people who are always pushing to sneak a little more out of life. We're up early to sneak in a morning swim or out surfing to catch that one last wave. If you want to do a little extra, do it in an all-wheel drive Subaru. Kia ora and welcome to Well and Good with Art and Matilda. Hey guys, we've got a very interesting podcast for you today. Yeah, I think you guys are going to love it. So Matt Ringrose is an independent teacher of Vedic meditation. So for those of you who aren't familiar with what that is, don't worry, we'll get right into it in the potty. And he's also the founder of one of Sydney's most successful meditation schools, Bondi Meditation Centre. Yeah, he's a truly interesting guy. He comes from a, a background as an entrepreneur, a DJ and a corporate. And then he made this change into a very meditative lifestyle. And uh, he covers a bit of that journey and he talks also about best times to meditate and the benefits of meditation. Yeah, it's really cool because he's not really what you'd expect from a Vedic meditation practitioner, is he? He's sort of like this cool Bondi guy. He's been a DJ, mm. you know, so I loved chatting with him. We got we got deep. We, we got deep. It got quite spiritual for a second there. <laughs> so I hope you guys love it as much as we did. Well, Matt, uh, thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure. At 5 p.m. I, I, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll have to ask you at the end. But should we set the scene set here? Set the scene. Yes. We're okay. in Bondi Beach. We've taken the podcast global, which yep. is quite exciting. And it's 5 p.m. on a Friday. So you've given up that time for us, which we really, really appreciate. So if I had a social you. life, it might have been a problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we don't have one either. So no, we go. don't. So we're, yeah, we're in Bondi, we're in your hood, because you've got up the road is your Bondi Meditation Centre. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how long has that been going? Well, there was a Bondi Meditation Centre not that far away from here either, which was my home mm-hmm. for seven years. But recently, there's a brand new Bondi Meditation Centre, like standalone, a centre for all of us, our community, which isn't my house. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's been open oh, probably about two months, I think. Awesome. Yeah. And it's going well so far? Yeah, it's really good. People like it. It's a nice, happy space. Well, I guess Bondi is sort of the perfect area for a meditation centre, right? It is. If I'd done this in Northampton where I grew up in England, I'd probably got a brick through my window. Yeah. <laughs> but here, it's perfect. Yeah, I mean, I've taught in Bondi over a thousand people. Wow. Many of whom are still here. So yeah. it just shows. It's interesting, isn't it? It's just become a place where it's synonymous. Yoga meditation, healthy eating, kind of as well as all the superficial stuff, it's also got that going on. Yeah, because I wonder mm. if it's got something to do with being by the beach and the water and yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. It just seems to be such mm-hmm. an active outdoor lifestyle in Sydney, which we really love. Every time we come here, eh, we're like, oh, we're going to mm. move here. It's so cool. Yeah, I know. I was saying, I feel like I'm just dissing England, but I was saying <laughs> the other day that people here get it. You've got to give something and then you'll feel good. Mm-hmm. In England, I haven't been there for a while. This is what it used to be like, mm. is you get up, you eat a crap breakfast. <laughs> oh, this is terrible. This is just racist. You eat a crap breakfast and then you go and you have a few fags and cigarettes and then you go to work and then you kind of go for a couple of beers after work and then yeah. you have a curry and then you wake in the morning and wonder why you feel shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's right. just, it's, it's you can pubs. say that word. Any okay. occasion is go to the pub, eh? Yeah. yeah. So I lived in London for a couple of years and it was yeah. like pub for lunch, pub for after work drinks, yeah. pub for this. Like, and okay. here you get down Bondi Beach at 6am, it's full, everyone's there. Yeah. Because <laughs> they know that if you have a run or whatever, 
a meditation and then yeah. you give a bit back, then you're going to feel better all day. Mm, so true. And so how did you kind of get into meditation? Because I would assume mm. that that you didn't just start off spiritual straight from the womb. Did you find it later no. on or did you just start no, spiritual? Oh, it was definitely not spiritual straight from the womb. So, yeah, how did I find it in a nutshell? Kind of by accident, but as a result, nothing's by accident, of course. Of course not. Um, but as a result of too much of a particular kind of lifestyle you might associate with DJing, which I was. Right. So I was a DJ for a while. And then I was a businessman and just kind of doing all the wrong things. Mm. And so as a result, feeling strangely bored. What do you, wait, what do you mean by doing the wrong things? Oh, I just mean drinking, drugs. Partying too much, not looking after yourself. Yeah, yeah. eating the mm. wrong kinds of foods and that kind of stuff. And I had Jack, a little one, now a huge one, and I just decided that, it was time to make some changes. But the meditation kind of just came. I just found out about it in a book by David Lynch where he talks about it. And I just thought, I need this. This sounds great. You know, when you know you're going to do something and nothing's going to stop you. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to do that. So that was it. And so you practice a type of meditation called Vedic meditation, right? That's right, yeah. And is that part of the whole Ayurvedic umbrella? So yeah. Can you speak a little bit about yeah. what that is? Yeah, so there's this ancient body of knowledge called the Veda, so V-E-D-A, the Veda, which dates back thousands of years in India. From that body of knowledge, there are different branches of knowledge. Veda means knowledge and Aya means life. Mm-hmm. So it's the life knowledge. And so Ayurveda is the practical kind of health branch, if you like, of the Veda. Right. And central to Ayurveda is this form of meditation. Why? Because... It allows the body to rest really deeply and do its own healing. And that's the most efficient way of healing the, healing yourself mm-hmm. on all levels. So if you went to see an Ayurvedic doctor, for example, one of the first questions they'd ask you for sure is, do you do this meditation? And so what training or you know experience have you yeah. been through? Yeah, quite a lot. It's not an easy thing to become a Vedic meditation teacher. So you have to have meditated for two years, doing your 20 minutes twice a day. And then you do kind of some study, which is partly practical, partly theoretical. And that takes, you know, I think it took me about a couple of years to do that. And then at the end of that, you get interviewed. And if you pass those, you go to the final important bit, which is teacher training or initiator training. And what it involves is going into some kind of some place in isolation. In my case, it was the side of a volcano on the very northern tip of Bali. And I love it. That's so it's a good image. <laughs> And it's kind of like, you know, there were rooms. It wasn't just jungle. It wasn't in a jungle, but there were rooms and things like that. And I was imagining a... like you were in a cave. Yeah. All right, <laughs> let's leave that. That sounds a bit bad. So it's this <laughs> cave and just one old man <laughs> in a loincloth. And we just hung out for three months meditating. Well, it's not that far off that. <laughs> you do a lot of meditation, up to 14 hours a day for wow. three months. And it releases a lot of stress very quickly. So it kind of accelerates the whole of the meditation process. And the idea is that it releases so much stress, you don't have too much left and therefore not too many agendas left to work out on everyone else. In other words, you're ready to help people. Mm. In my case, I was just a mess. <laughs> well, okay, and for quite a while afterwards, but it all made sense in the end. So mm. did you experience a kind of purging, I guess, when oh, you yes. were there? Yeah. Yeah. 
For me, it felt at certain times like I was having an exorcism and coming off heroin, which, by the way, I've never taken and I don't know. But wow. how I might imagine it all happening at once. I had a very intense experience. Yeah. That's incredible, isn't it? Mm. Because for people that don't meditate, the, yeah. it, it That's sounds not a good so in, just <laughs> in, incredible that your own mind can do that. Yeah, to have full-on physical sort yeah. of feelings and yeah. uh, reactions. So what happened was I had a trauma, a very, very big trauma when I was 20. And what the process does is it brings out the stress, the old traumas and stresses for release. Mm -hmm. And when they come out very quickly and intensely like this, you re-experience them. Wow. But I should point out at this stage that my experience is quite, well, very unusual, even for teacher training. And it certainly would never happen when you just do 20 minutes twice a day meditation. Yeah. (laughs) Um, 14 hours a day for a while. We're talking about a very specific person doing a very specific practice Mm -hmm. in a very specific way. I mean, I've never heard of anyone else having the experience that I had, actually. Yeah. But, you know, I'm all the stronger for it. It was a... It was a very strong Amazing. learning experience. It kind of sounds a little bit similar to ayahuasca in that you don't... Without, yeah, without the puking. Take anything and vomit. Mm. Yeah, so so obviously a little bit different, but the same kind of... Well, in principle, it's the in same. In yeah. principle, it's the same. So what ayahuasca does is it plunges you or gives you access to a, a higher state of consciousness, which isn't sustainable temporarily. Mm. And what this training is designed to do is gradually bit by bit put you into a higher state of consciousness so same thing maybe without the thrilling visuals in the same way things like that (laughs) Um, but they can come too in a way that is sustainable that's the difference really in general between drugs um, psychedelics and spiritual practice nobody's ever managed to sustain the high states of consciousness accessed with drugs and psychedelics mm. afterwards, which is why you see all those guys, you know, your Ram Dasses, Timothy Learys, and these guys end up going to India, don't they? They give up on the drugs. They've tried every combination, every quantity to try and sustain it. Mm. They would say, it's not possible. So in the end, they went and found, I suppose, the pure root. Yeah. And so how would you say that meditation has changed your life or affected you, whether it's mentally or physically or mm. emotionally? Oh, there's so many different ways of answering that in every way. I mean, I could answer it just in a very practical sense that it helped me overcome my demons, you'd say, the things, the behaviours which would cause me and others suffering. So they spontaneously kind of dissolved, which was great. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you want to know what they are? I've kind of mentioned, haven't I, mm. the drinking, the drugs. But some, yeah. you know, hugely impatient, a controlling kind of temperament. Because I guess it helps you to recognize those things as well, Mm. though, right? Because through meditation, I've personally found, I don't do Vedic meditation, but I've personally found that I can see myself for all the strengths and flaws as Mm. well, and they kind of aren't me anymore in a way. Almost like you're observing Mm. it from an outside perspective. Yeah. Mm. Mm. That's right. And so you might even say they're highlighted for deletion. Yes, exactly. I really like that. That's Mm. so true. Yeah, the truth comes to the surface Mm. when you meditate, and that can be the confronting idea for people, but ultimately it's the truth will set you free. Yeah, Mm. absolutely. It's kind of incredible, isn't it, because I guess we're so busy that we're almost in denial of like our true self in a way, like Mm -hmm. our flaws and everything. We're just so, so busy 24-7 that that we don't take the time to really get to know what they are. Mm. Yeah. And we're, and we're so, as a society, we're so 
floor averse. Mm-hmm. You know, we were spending a lot of energy trying to actually paper over our floors or airbrush them. Yeah. So, yeah, it's not something we spend a lot of time working through. Well, yeah, we spend so much time doing things. You know, we don't spend any time doing nothing. You know, mm. we're always on our phones. We always need something to keep our attention. And so we, mm. I think a lot of the time we very rarely stop and look and just take time mm. to think and look inside and mm. yeah, know, take a look at yourself. Because we've sort of spoken a little bit about that on, on the podcast previously, how in the social media generation you don't actually spend time just being bored or like mm. just having thoughts because as soon as you don't have anything to do, you go on your phone or your laptop yeah. or you watch Netflix or, or anything. So you never just have time to think or be creative. This or, is right. Mm. And, and it's, it comes back to that idea that, again, as a society, we value doing above being. Mm. Examples being, excuse the pun, in class, a kid's looking out the window, daydreaming, kind of just lost in being, really. Mm. And it's focus, bring your yeah, attention back. That's so true. Yeah. And what meditation does, clearly, is it takes you out of the doing to connect you with what being really is. Mm. And what being really is, is the essence of you. Yeah. And the more time you spend in being, the more those qualities of being start to infuse you and you're able to use them in life so it's actually a very good exercise (laughs) the more being you know the essence of you that place you contact in meditation is so much cleverer than your brain yeah you know so if you're established in being and you're in a situation like there's a challenge a problem and you connect to that place it will spontaneously show you what to do without reference to the intellect you'll just know is that kind of like listening to your gut or gut yes. feeling, right? Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. There's a, a wisdom in there. There's a wisdom in re- that resides in all of us underneath all that reactivity of the mind. And again, meditation, what it's designed to do is get you in contact with that place, which has inherent in it all sorts of good qualities, yeah. compassion, love, a creative intelligence to solve problems. And then our mind kind of takes over, it sort of talks over it with logic and being practical and saying, no, Mm. we shouldn't do that, we shouldn't do that because of this, this, this and that. Mm. And our mind seems worried all the time, but if we really just listened to our intuition, because it Mm. always knows, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, And we know this, but we don't know whether we can believe it. It's so right. Because it's never really... It's never proved us wrong, so I don't understand why we don't have any faith in it. Yeah, well, the reason for that is that the intellect wants to make the decisions. Mm. And this gut kind of route, when we go to the gut and we go for that for our advice, as it were, bypasses the intellect. It doesn't Mm -hmm. like to be left out. So it comes in, sticks its oar in and says, this is chaos. This is anarchy. What are you saying? We haven't thought this through. You know, everything needs to go through me. So how does Vedic meditation work and how is it different than other forms of meditation? What you do is you close your eyes and you think a mantra. And the mantra you get is personalised, so different people get different mantras. So you close your eyes and you think a short little simple sound and really effortlessly and easily, and this sound, when you think it effortlessly, causes the mind to settle down. Is it like a hum or is it just any sound? It's particular specific sounds. So the sounds aren't just like, you can just say like, flower or you know whatever someone's name you could try it with those it won't do the same thing Mm -hmm. the sounds we use are sacred old sounds going back think about it thousands of years and why have they been preserved so long because they work and what do they do well they have they have two qualities 
One is that they're charming to the mind, more mm-hmm. charming than thoughts, like this shiny thing that the mind prefers to thoughts, at least for a little while, so mm-hmm. it kind of follows that. And the other thing is that they're always slipping away, becoming more soft and slipping into the deeper depths of consciousness. So those two things combined mean the mind's always following this shiny thing down into a deeper depth, and that's how it works. So it's just really easy. Yeah. You literally sit down. I'll teach people. I say, right, think this down. Close the eyes. They start thinking it. And within three to five minutes, like literally the first time, more than 50% of people will go to a very, very deep state. By the second, by the time I've taught them the technique, those people, by the way, those 50%, I haven't even taught them how to do it yet. They're literally just sitting there thinking the sound. Then the next day I teach them the technique and then another 45% of people. So you're up to 95% of people after the second session will be able to do it. Nice and easy, sweet, no problem. Mm -hmm. And then the final day, the final 5% will get it. Everyone will get it by the end of the course, which runs over four days for about an hour and a half a day. That's really cool because with um, other types of meditation like I quite like the loving kindness ones yeah but I find them a little bit difficult to do without an app Mm. because I can't really think of what to say because then if you've got to think of it yourself it's like right okay and then I kind of just copy the apps and then I think am I doing this right Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah that's Um, yeah so it it sounds a bit easier than it's the easiest meditation that I'm aware of Mm. and it's the most powerful meditation that I'm aware of if I find a more powerful meditation I'll probably teach that yeah. Okay. But this is the most, the easiest and most powerful meditation, and you're completely self sufficient with it. Mm. So as soon as you get given your mantra and you finish the course, you can just sit wherever you are in the world, close your eyes and do it. There is no psychological interaction with it, mm. there is no creativity required. It just works and takes you to a place which is always different, but with underlying similarities, which is peaceful. It's like being in an aeroplane and being in the turbulence and then going underneath the turbulence and into the still air. Mm. And you just feel like you're in that stillness for a while and then you come out and you're just better able to deal mm. with things. Yeah, I've done a little bit of Vedic meditation. At least I think it was Vedic meditation but because <laughs> yeah. I, I use an app that ah. is a, a Vedic meditation app called One Giant Mind. Yes, brilliant. Yeah. So I sort of did that onboarding course for mm-hmm. 30 days and mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it and I definitely found that I can get a lot deeper through that form of meditation. I did some Wim Hof breathing beforehand, so like yeah. some breathing techniques, and then I meditated, and I felt like I had an out-of-body experience. Mm. It was really strange. I felt like, yeah, I was in space. Yes. So, yeah, One Giant Mind's good. It's made by a Vedic meditation teacher as like an hors d'oeuvre, an intro to Vedic meditation, which is more powerful again. So if you like that, mm. you'd love Vedic meditation. Mm. So how did the breathing affect it, do you think? Well, I don't know, but every time I do Wim Hof breathing – I do three or four rounds of some uh, like breathing techniques. Probably takes me about 15 to 20 minutes. Mm. And then after that, I feel like I've woken up from a really glorious nap or just <laughs> had an intense meditation. I just feel so relaxed and just so peaceful. And then from there, going into meditation, it's just amazing. Yeah, because I guess you're already part way. <laughs> yeah, I feel like my mind is completely settled. Whereas normally when I start a meditation, I'm starting from mind going everywhere from yeah. being in the world, unless it's first thing in the morning when I've woken up. When do you meditate and when do you recommend people meditate? I meditate twice a day at different times, basically first thing in the morning for the simple reason that if you don't do it first thing, life gets in the way very quickly and you probably mm-hmm. won't do it. So I've learned that first thing in the morning is good. Also the fact that everything's better after you meditate, so you might as well do it first. Yeah. And then later on I do it maybe mid-afternoon 
3.30 is a good time because it's a time when everyone in the world, funnily enough, has a serotonin dip. Really? Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, yeah. So if you do it then, you don't feel that kind of slump in the same way. Yeah. And you don't need a coffee or a nap or those things. Mm. You know, siesta time, right? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> good time to meditate. Yeah. <laughs> but you can do it anytime. Just AM, PM is good. Mm. And so why is it 20 minutes twice a day? Because that's been worked out to be the right amount of time that gives you the optimum benefits right. without side effects. And the side effects would come on when you start to do more meditation, more than 20 minutes twice a day. I mean, that's a kind of obviously an approximate rule. Everyone's different, but that seems to be the safe amount of time. Mm -hmm. So if you look what I did on teacher training, which I spoke about before, let's take the analogy of a bottle of Coke. Mm -hmm. You've got a bottle of Coke and the Coke inside the bottle is the stress. And we want to get that out, right? And we've got a jug over here and we've got a nice white tablecloth. And we'd rather not get any mess on the tablecloth. And that would be like emotional side effects. Mm -hmm. So what we do in Vedic meditation is we do, shh, shh, shh. I'm just showing them kind of like just opening the bottle and then closing it a little yeah. bit. <laughs> doing a little, little finger movements. Little finger yeah. movements. <laughs> just to kind of release that gas and get it out. We're going to get it all out. We're going get to get it across. We're going to feel great, but we're not in a rush. Mm -hmm. It's powerful. It works quickly anyway. But what we don't want to do is basically release too much. Because if too much stress comes out too quickly then we feel it as it comes out. Yeah. So 20 minutes twice a day is found to be the optimum benefits, minimum side effects. Now, teacher training, obviously, you're giving that bottle a good old shake. <laughs> yeah. And you're getting it all out in three months. Yeah. Yeah. Really but, fizzing that coke up. Yeah, yeah. But we're in society here. We're not on a mountainside, on a volcano. We're actually probably doing jobs, looking after families, all that kind of stuff. So we just want to feel good. We don't want to purge in a way which is too full on. <laughs> yeah. You know. And so how long until, so someone starts meditating today mm -hmm. to lots of 20 minutes a day. Yeah. How long do you think until they'll start to feel these benefits? Usually the first day. First day. Wow, that's great. Yeah. Or second or third. Yeah. Sometimes the kind of very initial days, there's some detox effects. So it's like going back to the Coke bottle, you can't help but give it a little bump like that mm. the first day because there's a lot of stress that comes out quite easily that doesn't need too much meditation so if a lot of that's coming out you might feel a little bit tired or a little bit emotional in the first two or three days and then the benefits will be revealed mm -hmm. but most people straight away oh i'm gonna give this type of go yeah you just downloaded that app on the plane didn't i you? did yeah yeah, yeah. I, so I'm yeah. going to do it. And we'll, we'll um, pop into Bondi Meditation Center this weekend as well. So. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And there are definitely a couple of really good Vedic meditation teachers in New Zealand. Oh, great. That I can give you, you can put up on the podcast or whatever. That'd be great, yeah. If, yeah. You, if well, you know their names now, you can say Yes. Them. So there's Georgia Vavasor, mm -hmm. V-A-V-A-S-O-U-R, I hope. Georgia Vavasor. And then there's Lauren Godfrey. Great. Both excellent teachers. Awesome. Vedic meditation. Cool. We'll add them to the show notes. Here's a quick message from our sponsor, Subaru. Every new Subaru in New Zealand has all-wheel drive as standard. So this means that no matter what kind of road or surface you find yourself on, with Subaru's all-wheel drive, you can drive in confidence. But what does all-wheel drive mean? Great question, Matt. Thanks for asking. All-wheel drive distributes power to all four wheels, which gives you twice the grip of those vehicles that aren't all-wheel drive or four-wheel drive. All-wheel drive is just one of the many safety features that Sabara's five-star safety range has, and it gives us comfort that Baby Green will be travelling both safely and in style in our Sabaros. Another awesome thing people don't realise about Sabaros is that you don't have to pay extra for all-wheel drive. 
It's included in the price. So check out the Subaru all-wheel drive range at subaru.co.nz. What about if you're feeling quite stressed? Do you find that you can meditate? Because I find sometimes it's far harder for me if my brain's going everywhere. I find it hard to kind of get into a meditative state. Yeah, this is the most important time to meditate. I know that sounds like a thing Mm. a meditation teacher would say, Mm. but it really is. So you've got a lot of stress in there and there's a lot of excitation in the body. So when the body's excited, the mind's connected to the body. So it is also going to find it harder to settle down. But that's okay. So what we do in the meditation is we just, with the Vedic meditation, is we close our eyes and we might be experiencing for the first little while, just you know, thrashing around, looking at all those issues that are in the mind from all different angles, or maybe an argument you're having, rehearsing what you're going to say to somebody and all those kind of things. Mm. But this is all a settling and it's actually a releasing of stress in itself. And then as you continue to do that, you may find that that starts to settle towards the end of the meditation and eventually you kind of slip into a deeper state. But that's the depth is not important. That's the really key thing. Mm. So in this technique, it's not about stopping the mind from thinking. The mind kind of does stop thinking quite often in Vedic meditation, but we're not looking to stop it thinking. We're looking to release stress from the body. And whenever we release stress from the body, it actually causes a thought. So we don't resist thinking. Basically, what I say to people is, Do you want your life to be shaped by the avoidance of discomfort? Because we often do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We don't, but we do allow it to be. And so when you're at the pointy end in a crisis kind of situation, you think, well, yeah, well, I can't meditate because I'll be sitting down thinking about that thing. And yet this is actually the time when you're closest to being able to liberate yourself. Mm. So by sitting and working through processing that stress during it, you'll find those crises last a lot less long. And you can kind of understand the power of it a bit more, I guess, because if it's really turning that around, you Mm. know, when you're right in it, Mm. then, yeah, imagine what else it can do. I could tell you some times when I've been just, you know, you don't really want to do it, Mm. you know, and I've just been in the middle of a huge life-changing situation and I'm like, oh, it's kind of meditation time. And then one that I'm thinking about in particular, the end of a relationship, Mm. and I just sat down And just to my astonishment, I started to feel a bit better in it. And then the whole process was transformed from that moment on. There's that quote by Einstein, which is very relevant here. You can't solve the problem in the state of consciousness the problem was created in. So So you can sit there trying to solve, you know, basically hold on to something and try and work your way around it on that state of consciousness. Mm -hmm. You access a higher state of consciousness in meditation and there's kind of woo-woo as it might sound, that problem can dissolve Mm. or be solved simply by accessing a higher state where the answer wasn't previously obvious. Yeah, because I find that my brain gets scrambled really easily Mm -hmm. and then I get stressed about that I can't focus or I can't concentrate, I can't do anything. So I kind of waste all this time being stressed about not being able to do stuff. Yeah. And it's usually you out that says, go and lie on a shark do mat and have a meditation because <laughs> mm. it kind of just brings you back into the moment yeah. and it centers everything mm. and then you're like, okay, I'm, I'm ready to go. Yeah, yeah. it sort of brings yeah. everything back in line. It takes you, like on a physiological level, it takes you out of fight or flight mm. and fight or flight is a very restrictive It contracts our awareness so mm. we can really only think about one thing. And what's that one thing we're going to think about? the thing we've got a problem with. (laughs) And without a perspective around it, we haven't got kind of that spacious awareness which helps us solve problems, which gives us perspective. Mm -hmm. So just in a very practical physiological way, 
just to relax the body is a good way of solving problems. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah totally. Because I've heard that, yeah, physiologically, when we're in flight or fight mode, the part of our brain that would normally be solving problems and helping in these situations has actually decreased the amount of like neurons firing and yeah. activating that part of our brain has decreased. Parts of our brain that would be responsible for activating muscles and all sorts of things that you would need in a fight or flight situation, mm. they're activated instead. That's right. Yeah. It's not interested in doing anything beyond just saving you in that moment. Because mm. mm. it genuinely believes that your life is under threat. Yeah. Yeah, even yeah. if somebody just didn't comment on your new shoes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, similar situation. Yeah. yeah. Could be touch and go. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I guess in our kind of modern world, we have so many perceived stresses that aren't mm. really, well, they're certainly not fight or flight moments. And it's odd that our brain can't tell the difference yet, isn't it? It's a mismatch. Yeah. So what it is, is the nervous system is the same nervous system we had when we were cavemen. Mm. Okay, it hasn't really changed at all. And it's on a hair trigger. So it's very easily triggered into fight or flight, mm. right? But in the old days when we were cavemen, we were only trying to survive. That was all it was about. Mm. It was like get food, get water, procreate, you Didn't care shelter. if someone was commenting on your shoes. No. You, you, you didn't, were liking you, your photo on Instagram. Uh, yeah. Your brain wasn't capable of understanding any of that stuff. So, you know, it was quite appropriate that the nervous system was on a hair trigger. And then if somebody was trying to, like, pull your missus, that's a life or death situation because you might get ostracized from the tribe or if, if the shelter's collapsing, you might die of exposure and so on. So you are constantly life or death. So that was a good marriage of nervous system and brain. Fast forward now, we've got this incredible brain now, which does all sorts of amazing things like imagine what might happen in the future <laughs> and think about and worry about it and think about what has happened in the past and feel guilty about Freak it. Freak out about, about that it. too. Yeah. yeah. So we spend so much time in this speculation, but each time we go into it, the thoughts seem as real to the nervous system and ding. So it's constantly going off. And what happens when you meditate is the whole system settles down and stops being so on a hair trigger. Mm. And also we spend less time in speculation and more time actually here. So it's like you concertina in the experience from the past and the future constantly. You start to be more actually engaged with what's happening now. This mm. is presence. This is mindfulness. Good meditation techniques should naturally bring this. This should spontaneously arise. You should not have to be thinking right now, I must stay in the moment. Oh, gosh, that's never going to work, is it? Mm. <laughs> it should naturally arise that you find that you're actually engaged with what's happening now. There's some level of satisfaction and enough information in that moment to keep your attention. That's a really great point, mm. actually, because mindfulness is such a buzzword at the moment. Mm. And it's so important, but it's really difficult without meditation because you've got to mm. constantly remember and yeah. then think like, right, okay, am I not in the moment now? Yeah, how how do I come back in the moment? Yeah. And then you go back out of the moment again, you get stressed about that. So, yeah, that's it's Frankly, it's too much work. One. And you know something, I don't know, let's go, should we go a, bit, a little bit controversial? Mm. Absolutely. Okay, so mindfulness is basically Buddhist practices involving concentration, and they're fantastic mm. and they're brilliant. And about... I don't know how long ago, 10 years ago, maybe a bit less, they became very popular with governments and governments started promoting them and through doctors and so on. And this is fantastic. But the fact is, mindfulness is difficult. So mindfulness is a practice as well as a thing you're supposed to feel. Mm. <laughs> um, it's like basically a meditation practice. It's Buddhist meditation practice. Um, but it's difficult. And I think, I don't know how long ago, maybe four or five years ago, but certainly more and more, people are cottoning on, did we back the wrong horse here? Mm. 
this is nice, this is good, and it's helpful. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's not a bad thing at all. And of course, you might say I'm biased because I teach a transcendent technique. But the fact is, the technique I teach and similar techniques are so much easier. You reach deeper states. And it states. kind of costs that box yeah. as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. And not only that, but because it's easier, you do it more often, you stick at it, and then the mindfulness arises spontaneously. So particularly, there are some interesting articles coming out about businesses, corporations, Mindfulness is yesterday, transcendence is the future. Mm. So if you look at the CEOs and the employees themselves of these companies, they're now moving towards transcendent practices where people find them easier to do Mm. and get better results. Yeah, I definitely find that with my Vedic meditation that I do. I look forward to it more than other mindfulness apps that I use because I don't have to think. I can just drop straight into it and I can do them without having to be guided where, like you were saying, Maddie. The other types of meditation I, I can't really do unless I'm guided. You can't do them without an app. It's, yeah, mm. it's kind of like a, a crutch, isn't it? I also find that with Vedic meditation, I can, every now and then I get thoughts come into my mind that are brilliant thoughts, mm-hmm. which I don't get when I'm going through a guided meditation because that's all I'm thinking about. I'm listening to yeah. their, their guidance. But with mm. Vedic meditation, my mind every now and then will wander. And yeah, I do have these quite cool thoughts. Yeah. Mm. So that's because you're entering a deeper state from which creativity arises. Mm. So creativity arises from a deeper or higher state of consciousness. And when we're in that state, we get cognitions. And cognitions are ideas which... I suppose it's a little bit philosophical again, but kind of basically what the universe wants you to do, wants to be expressed through you. Mm. In some way, the idea, if you act on it, is some way useful for evolution. So you'll get an idea which might be completely new, innovative, fresh, or it might be a new connection between two previously existing ideas, and you feel like you want to act on it. And that's a cognition. Mm. And it's great. And that can come in meditation or it can start to come regularly outside of meditation. Yeah. So I guess you're kind of unlocking that part of you. Yeah. Yeah, because you hear so many people that say, oh, I'm not creative, I'm not creative. But I feel mm-hmm. like everyone's creative if they just are given the chance to find it. We're, all more, we're certainly more space. creative yeah. <laughs> than we can be. And again, you can look at it on which level you want to understand this or explain it. Is it the prefrontal cortex lighting up mm-hmm. of the brain and bringing more creative patterning? Yes, it's that. But is it also accessing a deeper state of consciousness mm-hmm. where ideas come from, where poetry comes from where the greatest songs come from because like Einstein bringing him up again his theories would come through completely full he wouldn't work them out they'd come mm. through completed where would they come from that place yeah that's amazing yeah, yeah. Mozart wrote a symphony when he was whatever seven where did that come from he didn't sit there working out <laughs> it he came was seven through. that's yeah. crazy yeah it's something like that that's yeah. insane yeah, yeah. I'm, tw- I'm plucking numbers out of the area. But, no, yeah. but it's believable and it's a good... good oh, let's man. go with seven. Yeah, yeah. seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard it was, he was I think he was on um, Kids Got Talent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I often think about that, like the those early scientists and stuff and the stuff that they came up with was just mm. so far ahead of their time. Yeah. yeah. And you think, how is that possible that they came to those conclusions and... And figured out all this stuff way back then. I don't know. Mm. It's insane. They didn't learn yeah. it. It's it's like the Veda, um, which is what we were speaking about earlier, mm. how that apparently comes through and how that was learned is simply by the ancient rishis cognizing it. Mm. So it came through fully realized. Have you had any any really cool things that you've realized? Any thoughts that came have come up with through? a poster once. 
<laughs> a, a poster. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, look, the honest answer to that is the more you do it, everything's like that. Okay. Mm. So the more you do it, I don't want to weird anyone out here, but let's might as well go with yeah, it now. Do it, go on, let's do it. Okay. So the more you do meditation, the less you make choices in the way that you might have previously. So what starts to happen is you kind of know what you need to do. It's like a choiceless feeling, right? I'm doing this next. I'm doing that next. You don't really make decisions in the same way. You're guided by some sort of silent impulse. Is that um, kind of your intuition? Or it's your intuition. That, yeah. It's your intuition, but you end up, end up doing everything via that. Mm-hmm. Is that weird? Yeah. No. Well, yeah. no, it's not weird. It's cool. <laughs> and, it, and you call it you call it following charm. That's mm-hmm. the Vedic term for it. Okay. So you might start off kind of like, oh, what feels, when you first start exploring it, what, yeah, what feels like the right thing to do? And you kind of like that. But after a while, it's like riding a bike. You're not you just thinking know. about it. You're just making the little adjustments. You know, the wind's changing direction. You're adjusting the balance. You're going around a corner without yeah. thinking about any of those things. And what you're doing, again, from the Vedic view, would be that you're moving in unison, in unity with the universe, what it wants you to do. Mm which is the most evolutionary path for you, the most useful positive path for you, and that therefore is a result for everyone else. And so intuition ends up being your complete life. Yeah. Not something you occasionally tap into. It's something you always do. So is the Vedic philosophy that your life is kind of mapped out for you by the universe in a way? or? Oh, <laughs> yes. Well, this is a very interesting discussion um, <laughs> on free will versus determinism. Right. Yeah, so the Vedic view is, it depends on your state of consciousness. Right. Okay, so we have free will, whichever way we look at it. Mm -hmm. If we're looking at it from our state of consciousness, we have free will because we feel like it, right? Mm. Feel like you can choose what I'm going to peel that wire up or put it down and I can uh, do whatever I want. (laughs) Um, And that feels right, so that must be true. And it is true in this state of consciousness. But in the highest state of consciousness, which would be God, then everything is already known. Mm. So everything that's happening everywhere is already known. Everything that's happening in the future past is already known. Therefore, it must, in a sense, all be blueprinted out already, right? It's all done. So we're just ultimately just puppets. Mm. Yeah. But in that state of consciousness, this is, well, I'm going to lose you here. But in that state of consciousness, we are God. Mm. So it's still free will. Because you're the highest level of Yeah, you're the highest level. Yeah. Yeah. So it's always free will. And frankly, whatever you're experiencing is the only reality that matters. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So we feel like we've got free will. We've got free will. Mm. So, what are your thoughts on things like manifestation and that sort of thing? Like, do you practice manifestation or do you just not really think it's relevant if you're mm-hmm. so in tune with your own intuition? Yeah, everything is manifestation. We're manifesting mm. it all the time. Mm. We're manifesting everything based on what we believe, what we put our attention on, and what our state of consciousness is, and a combination of those things. Mm. So, you can manifest something like, let's say, the yellow Lamborghini, Mm. right? Simply by, you know, the secret and all that. Yeah. So you put your attention on the yellow Lamborghini and you got your picture and you put your attention on it regularly enough and you put loads of of attention on. You might well get the yellow Lamborghini. You know, you're whacking nature around the head saying, I want the yellow Lamborghini. You (laughs) might actually get it. Yeah. It's possible. But it won't bring you fulfillment. Mm. And you wonder why. You think, oh, there'll be some balancing out somewhere else. Because what we want to manifest really and when we're most successful at manifesting is when what we want is the same as what the universe wants yeah 
So when you're aligned with the universe, and so in other mm-hmm. words, you're following your intuition, which, by the way, is what the universe wants, mm. <laughs> then you're going to want the same thing as what the universe wants. And hey, presto, it's all appearing. But the universe isn't really bothered about you having a yellow no, Lamborghini. No, the universe isn't really yeah. bothered. The universe is infinite resource to provide you with whatever you want, mm. right? So if what you want is what it wants, you're going to get them. And you're going to feel completely supported and everything's going your way. And next thing you know, smooth, frictionless activity and you're booming in whatever way you mm. need to be. But if you're trying to, as it were, twist the laws of nature and get something that isn't in the interest of evolution, then you might end up getting it as part of the journey, but it won't provide you with fulfillment. Mm. When you're doing what the universe wants, it provides you and helps you with that and the whole journey is fulfilling. See what I mean? Yeah, Yeah, it definitely makes sense. I definitely didn't think we were going to be talking about this stuff. (laughs) I didn't either, but it's gone there. It's gone deep. Yeah, it's gone gone there and I'm loving it. Why not? For me, meditation has enabled me to put things into perspective and to realize what I actually value in life Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and to just kind of focus on that a little bit Mm -hmm. more and focus less on the stuff that I thought was valuable, but I realize it isn't. And what becomes valuable can change. You know, what you thought was valuable before might not be so valuable now because, again, the more you meditate, the more your values go like a broken record here, the more your <laughs> values, uh, the values are resonant with and the same as the values inherent in the consciousness, in yeah. the universe itself. Yeah. And what does that want? That actually just wants everyone to be happy and love each other and, and for things to, and to help mm. and support. It doesn't necessarily want you to be right or to win or to acquire in the way that we thought was most important. Yeah. Well, that's probably a really nice little sentiment to to end on, Mm, really. Yeah. We have a question that that we ask all our guests, and now it feels really silly, doesn't it, during during this podcast? No, it's an incredibly important question. It needs to be asked. Okay, I'm still going to ask it. Yeah. If you could only have three foods for the rest of your life, Mm. what would they be, Matt? Oh, that's a good question. Imagine you're um, back living in that cave on the side of a mountain, <laughs> yeah, 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 on the yeah. side of a volcano. And, you've and by the way, foods. can I just qualify this? So why this is a good question is because all that stuff we've just been speaking about is all useless if it's just left as ideas. Mm. Right? I don't go around thinking about all that stuff ever until somebody asks me. Mm. What I think about is what food I want. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Right? Because yeah, that's the all, here that, and stuff's, now. all that stuff's in the background helping with life but it's about life mm. so that's no question oh god this oh it's a really tough one we've had pretty varied answers so yeah. free foods not drinks is it yeah no um, oh I mean, well i mean one of them could be a drink just yeah i mean the idea is you've kind of got to live off them i've you've so it's got to be oh so it's not gonna so be it's got to be something kind of enjoyable as well enjoyable yeah 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 okay so if i had to live off it i'm gonna go a bit vedic because mm-hmm. i'm gonna go gee Oh, Gee. clarified butter. It's just really good for you. And if I was if I was just trying to be all like alive and stuff. Mm. Cool. And it's also <laughs> yeah. it's also delicious. And it is really delicious. Yeah. Mm. So that would be one thing. I'd probably go, oh no, I'd oh god, I've messed it up now. Because I could have a dal with the ghee in it. <gasps> oh, you could. Well, dal is controversial because it's there's a lot that goes into a dal. So can mm. can we say a dal or is it an ingredient? I think we can allow this dal. Okay. If it's got the the ghee as the uh, another food. That's okay. Going okay. We'll have it. ghee and I'll put it on top the dal. <laughs> now, by the way, I don't always eat Indian food, but I'm thinking if I'm going one thing, I trust that food. That food mm. looks after you. 
Yeah. It nurtures you. And I have had it for long periods. And Indian and food does look after you. It's the best. Yeah. So rather than going what I might have gone, like next Bacola, a pot noodle and a, a protein bar, which is probably what I live <laughs> on today, I'm going to go, you know, I'm going pure. Yeah. So I'm also going to go cow's milk. Cow's milk? Yeah. Okay, cool. Cow's milk because it's a whole food. Mm. And if you boil it, then it's sweet. Yeah. You don't, I mean, it's sweet as in it's not going to mess If you just leave it, up. you've got sour cream. You know? You can do all sorts with it. Mm. That's not really how so, yeah. works, I don't really know. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm being sensible and wanting to survive and feel supported mm. by my food. I'm going to go for those things. That's good options. Good. That's really good, isn't it? It's, yeah. We usually get like broccoli, halloumi and some something else. But ghee, dal and cow's milk, that's good. That's, yeah, I really like that. Those have come up. That's my favorite one. It would be. Putting yeah. it out there. You love Indian food. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so if people want to try Vedic meditation, yeah. you know, obviously people in Sydney can come to your studio. Yeah. What about other people who aren't in Sydney? What would you, what would you recommend? Yes. So if they're not in Sydney, for this podcast, I recommend they contact me and I'll point them in the right direction. Mm-hmm. So we have a network um, of teachers around the world and we've never quite got it together on a good directory, which we're on it at the moment. But mm. for now, I'm more than happy to steer people in the right direction. So yeah. I know people around the world that are really good at this. And what's your email? So we'll send those inquiries through to matt at bondimeditation.com.au. Awesome. awesome. That's brilliant. And have you, have you got any any other way that people can follow you? Social media. Yeah. yeah. So got Instagram, which is Bondi Meditation. If you're in Bondi, you might want to join the Bondi Meditation community on Facebook, which is the group. Mm-hmm. And you can go to the website, which is bondimeditation.com.au. And on there, you'll see a timetable for all the events that go on at Centre. So we don't just teach meditation. We do various things and events designed to inspire you mm-hmm. and allow you to enjoy your higher state of consciousness, such oh, as like so movie awesome. nights, album listening nights, knowledge talks, like the stuff we've been talking about today. We have a night where I'll talk for 90 minutes about stuff like that and discuss. And we have mm-hmm. guest speakers and musicians, all that stuff. That's brilliant. Awesome. Mm, cool. Oh, God, we need one of these in Auckland. Lauren? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Lauren. Is Lauren here in Auckland? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's awesome. All right, well, we might come down to the studio this weekend. Yes, we're here. Um, yeah. And check it out. And thank you so much for your time. We really, really appreciate it. It's been awesome talking to you. You're Very welcome. Cool. It's been fun. Yeah. All right. Thanks. See ya. See you guys. Thanks for listening. Thank you indeed. This podcast is brought to you by Raw Collective. And for any updates on our podcast or any of the other podcasts under Raw, head to rawcollective.co or you can follow them on Instagram at raw underscore collective.co. But wait, before you go, please subscribe to our podcast and also rate it and review it. Leave a nice little message. Leave a smiley face, maybe an emoji. Or tell your friends. It's super easy. It takes two seconds and it would mean so much to us. Bye. Bye.